Well, it is great to be a dad. Um, one of my, well, gosh, this is my second Father's Day, isn't it? Yeah. So that's really fun. I love my son. Thank you. Yeah, it's a real privilege, a real treat. If you've seen Reed, you know he's the best child in the world, objectively, I'm sure. But, you know, one of the things I've realized about being a dad is having a kid really wears down on your body. No joke. I didn't have a paunch two years ago. I can see it. You can't. I can see it. There's a paunch there now. And I'm, uh, Megan tells me I'm growing some gray hairs on my chest. Yeah, there's, a, there's like two now. It's, it's a matter of great concern to me. Another issue is my vision. My vision's getting worse. So the, uh, I am nearsighted. I wear contacts normally. And I don't have a problem seeing up close. It's, you know, the contacts for long-distance vision. But lately... I've been looking at things up close, and I'm like, why am I struggling to see this? Am I going to need spectacles or something? So I, I went to the ophthalmologist, and, uh, you know, they sit you down in that chair, and they put that machine in front of you, and these flipping lenses, is one better than two, or is two better than three, and you're doing all that stuff. If you've ever had to wear glasses, you know what I'm talking about. But he was taking a little extra time, and kind of hemming and hawing, and saying, hmm, of course, hmm. And he's calling up numbers to his assistant, like, 25 on the B-curve, and stuff like that. I'm like, man, my eyeball's rotten in my skull. What's going on here? So the tension's building, and he's just checking my eyeballs out, and then finally he pulls, pushes the machine away. He says, well, just what I thought, your eyes are getting better. My eyes are getting better. Can you believe that? So the, the my issue that I have with reading stuff up close is actually, because my eyes are getting better, the lens are too strong. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, so maybe, maybe fatherhood's doing me some good after all. This morning, I want to talk about lens correctives, about changing our vision and seeing differently, particularly with the book of Romans, beginning with the book of Romans, really. We've been in the book of Romans for 11 months now. It's been quite the journey, and we are approaching the end. We are in chapter 15 this morning. And what Paul's going to talk about in chapter 15 might be... Uh, it might seem like a non sequitur. If, you, if you've been going in Romans, he's going to say something that unless you got the bigger thrust of what he's trying to say in Romans, you might miss it completely. Paul's original intention when he wrote this letter was for his hearers to actually hear it all in one sitting. That's what they did. Next week, we're going to read a little bit about Paul's friends. And the first person we read about, as, as Pastor Bill will talk about him, is someone named Phoebe. Phoebe was the letter carrier. And back then, that was a very special, specific job. What that meant is that Phoebe met with Paul, talked with him about his letter, and understood what he was trying to say. So when Phoebe came to the church in Rome, she would take her, the scroll, and she would unroll it, and she'd begin reading. And as she was reading, people in the congregation would call out questions, and she would interpret the letter from Paul to him. But they would do that all in one sitting. And from beginning to end, they would read the letter to the Romans. So they did it in one fell swoop with Phoebe. This, by the way, is a letter of a lion, tiger. So not quite the same thing that Phoebe did. But the point being is that when we kind of break Romans down into bite-sized chunks as we do today, we might miss the big picture. And it's only natural, I understand. We want to understand more about predestination, and we want to dig deep into the Father's love for us in Romans 8 and spend some time in those places. 
But I encourage you sometimes, just sit down with the book of Romans and read it in one sitting. Probably take about an hour, hour and a half, depending on how quickly you read. And you'll begin to see what we're going to explore today, which is that Paul has a greater picture in mind for us to understand and for the church in Rome. All that begins, of course, in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. If you remember 11 months ago, Pastor Mark might have mentioned this scripture. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. If you remember, and kudos to you if you do, 11 months ago, Pastor Mark mentioned that a lot of scholars and commentators think that this verse is the thesis for the entire book of Romans. And that here he is describing the flow of his argument from the beginning, what he's going to talk about. You remember that the Roman church had Jews and Gentiles in it. And there was a bit of conflict going on there. And Paul is going to set the larger picture for them. And the basic issue that Paul is addressing here is who is in and who is out. Because for the longest time in the culture of the Jews, the Jews were in and everybody else was out. That's who the Gentiles were. It's basically everybody else but Jews. And Paul's going to rewrite this for them. And the operative word in this verse is everyone. The power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Talk about a lens corrective. From going to a few select to everyone. So as Paul continues, that's the thread he weaves in the entire book of Romans from beginning to end. And again, I encourage you to read it. And we don't have time to do that. I was planning on reading the entire book of Romans this morning. But someone told me, nah, can't do that. So you'll have to trust me on it. But the important part is, is when we get to Romans 15, we see this again. So read with me here in in chapter 15, starting in verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and him with the Gentiles' hope. This is the word of the Lord. So, Father, this word, speak to us this morning. Show us your heart. Lord, change our vision. Change our perspective on your world. Let us see this planet just as you see it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So here you see it. He brings it full circle from Romans 1.16 all the way to here in Romans 15. And if we didn't have that perspective, if we hadn't started maybe reading an hour ago... It would have been easy to come upon Romans 15 and say, why is he talking about Gentiles? But in truth, this is the overarching perspective that he has here in Romans. Now, here's the thing. For us as as modern-day people, how often do we even use the word Gentiles outside of the context of the church? This idea of of Jews and, and Gentiles and who's in and who's out doesn't seem as relevant to us today. But I think it's as relevant as it ever was. And especially in an age of of, um, information overflow, when we are so globally connected, the reality is, is that we still need a perspective correction. 
We still do. I have this mug here. This mug was given to us by some friends who went to Afghanistan. They ministered there. They, they served some families there. And they brought this back to us because we were actually thinking about going to Afghanistan at one point. It says, I love Afghanistan. Now, most of you probably wouldn't ever utter those words. If I were to say Afghanistan, what's, what's what comes to your mind? Osama bin Laden, right? Uh, bombings, terrorists, burqas, dead American soldiers, current events. Here's the thing. What do you think comes to God's mind when we talk about Afghanistan? Current events? I don't think so. I think what God is thinking about when he sees Afghanistan is souls, people. And I think when we read the the words of Romans 15, and we see Paul break down this litany of Old Testament quotations about the Gentiles, we need to think about people like the Afghans. Who are the people in our time, in our day, Who we have a blind spot for. Who perhaps are the ones that we hold at bay because of current events. Or because they have some sort of identity that isn't just as people who need Jesus. So you see, I do think the Jew and Gentile thing is really relevant. That this perspective that everyone who believes can receive salvation is still important in our day. Because even in our day when we... In a, live in a global economy, we still can have limited perspectives. It is really easy for us to say, I love Gig Harbor, or I love America. And we do. We do, because we live here. We know this place. We know these things. But I think what Paul is saying here at the end of the book of Romans is to challenge our perspective and love who God loves. Not just who we know, but who God knows, and to broaden our hearts and the eyes of our hearts to see the world as God sees it. This is personal for Paul because he continues on to talk about his own calling, his own mission. Starting in verse 15, it says, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So that offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Going down to verse 20. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see And those who have never heard will understand. These words drip with Paul's passion. You can just see how much he is excited about the mission that he has. He talks about being proud of what God has done through him. He talks about his his ambition to reach people who have never heard about Jesus. When I read this, I was it gave pause to me. You know, I have spent um, a good deal of my life, and I think I still am, just trying to understand who God has made me and what my purpose is. And you might be in that place too. 
So when I see someone who has their purpose in life locked in like a laser, I take notice. And Paul is that person. He's got it down. So I have to ask, what motivates Paul? How would someone like him, as he says in other places in in his letters, go through shipwrecks, beatings, whippings, all that kind of stuff, and be so laser-focused on his mission to reach people who have never heard about Jesus? What motivates someone like that? If you know Paul's story, you know that his name wasn't always Paul. It used to be Saul. And Saul was not a nice guy. Saul was someone whose mission was to persecute Christians. He would go from town to town, causing pain to the people of God. And what was worse is he thought that that was God's mission for him. So he was zealous in causing pain. And because of that, later on in his life, Paul says, I was the worst of sinners. The worst of sinners. So what motivates Paul? You know what I think it is? I think it's his understanding of forgiveness. In Luke chapter 7, verse 47, Jesus says, He who is forgiven little loves little. Paul understood he was forgiven much. And so we see in Paul actually a microcosm of his greater message in Romans. That Paul understood that grace had been extended to him who it really should not have been. That he was someone who really should have been in the same camp as the Gentiles, outside of God's salvation. And yet, God crossed over that boundary, pursued him, and brought him in. So Paul sees in his own story, the story of God's salvation for the world. That there is no one who is outside of God's reach, and that God's perspective is of the whole world. No wonder he was motivated. No wonder he was excited about it because he had experienced that grace in, in micro and now saw it happening in macro all across the world. Paul's life for us, for me, provides a kind of a mirror to evaluate our own passions, our own purpose, our own callings, and to ask ourselves, do we have that kind of passion Do we understand God's grace like Paul does? Does it motivate us like that? And and to be clear, I don't want to guilt you into that. I want to make you hungry. I want to make you hungry for that kind of passion, for that kind of understanding of God's love that would motivate someone like that. I want to be motivated like that. Paul continues on, and he after he talks about his calling and his purpose in life and how much this drives him, he begins to talk about his specific plans. So in verse 22, he says, This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. What's the big deal about Spain for Paul? Well, you have to remember, Paul lived in the Roman Empire. This is a map of of the Roman Empire of the day. The Roman Empire, for the people in Rome, was everything. 
It was huge. I mean, look at it. It's basically the entirety of the Mediterranean Sea. It was ruled by the Romans. So when someone in Paul's day talked about the world in that culture, the world to them was the Roman Empire. You could say the civilized world. They knew about the Persians to the east and the barbarians to the north, but what the world was was the Roman Empire. So for Paul, he's going to the very far west of the Roman Empire for what him was the edge of the world. That was his ambition, to go to the end of the world with the gospel, Spain. So Spain isn't just Spain. Spain is really about the end of the world for Paul. So you see the ambition that he really does have here when he talks about his plans. But here's what I really love about this. What I love about the, the whole letter of Romans is that it was actually one big theological sales pitch to the church in Rome to get them invested in Paul's mission to reach the end of the world. That's what the letter to Rome was all about. And we get to the end here and we see that all this explanation about salvation, about the Jews and the Gentiles, about predestination, about hope, about us having a father in God, was really about, in the end, Paul's mission. That's what it was about. And not only that, but Paul didn't want to do it alone. He didn't want to do it alone. So here at the end, he is inviting the church in Rome to be a part of it, to host him, to support him. And I think he's inviting us too. I think he's inviting us to have a larger perspective, to have his perspective, and ultimately God's perspective on the world, to dream big about what God can do. Now here's, I understand this. I I could preach till my face is blue, but to have this kind of perspective is really a work of the Holy Spirit. To have the experience that Paul did where he was knocked on his back by the grace of God That's something only the Holy Spirit can do. But I think there's one thing that we can do that allows the Holy Spirit to work in us, and that is to pray. And that's exactly what Paul invites the church in Rome to do. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, in verse 30, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. I love that he says strive together. I love that, that word picture as, almost as if they were linking arms with him and pushing forward towards a goal with him by praying. In my home, we have pictures hanging on the wall. And some of these pictures are from places we've been, um, people we've known. I'm really appreciative of these pictures. That picture there, you see a picture from Cambodia. I went to Cambodia several years ago, and I brought that oil painting home. And every time I see that picture, I'm reminded of my friends Chamno, Rosa, and Lida, and their mission for justice, to to work with poor people in Cambodia. And I'm reminded to pray for them. I have another picture on my wall, the Golden Golden Gate Bridge that um, Megan took. And I'm appreciative of that picture because it reminds me of Troy Wilson in San Francisco. And his efforts to plant a church there, right downtown San Francisco. And I'm reminded to pray for him. You know, sometimes in church, 
on mornings like this, we have the opportunity to pray. And sometimes we'll pray for people in other places and some of our international partners. And I'm grateful for those prayers. Because when we do that, when I see those pictures on my wall and I pray, and when we pray those prayers on Sunday morning, we are striving together with people all over the world. It's funny because I never thought I'd be preaching about going across the world on Father's Day. It's it's a weird, weird juncture there. But, you know, I was thinking about this, my challenge to you to pick up prayer for people across the world. And I was really thinking about Reed in this regard. I'm grateful for what Joey said about his experience in Mexico, how he took that home and began to talk to his daughters about it, told them about people across the world and what they needed and and what we have, and how we can share that. And for my own son, every night, I pray with him. I, I, say, I say to Reed, I say, hey Reed, what happened today? What are you thankful for? Thankful for Henry. I'm thankful for cars. All that kind of stuff, right? He has this perspective, and he talks about the things that he's experienced just that day. And that's what we pray with Reed for, it was just that day. But you know what? I want to begin praying with Reed for one thing outside of his day. One thing outside of his perspective. One place he doesn't even know yet. Because I want Reed to grow up with Paul's perspective. I want Reed to grow up with with the eyes that sees the world through God's eyes. I want Reed to grow up with heart, a heart that loves our world. So I'm going to pray with Reed every day. But one thing that's outside of his day, one place that God loves, that's my challenge to you. Just pick one thing, one place, one people that God loves and begin to pray for them. If you haven't done that already, maybe you pray for Afghanistan. Maybe you've heard what Joey and Brent said and you begin praying for Mexico and Agua Viva and Pastor Marcos. Maybe you go to the On Earth As It Is In Heaven lunch and you hear a story there and you pick something from that to pray for. But what a shame would it be if we were to end Romans and just learn stuff and only do that. If we were only theologically more equipped and that was it, but we hadn't joined in the mission, if we hadn't joined in the passion that Paul had, I think we would have missed the reason why he wrote this letter. So let's pray. Let's be a people that strives together as Paul has asked us to be. Father God, even right now, I lift up to you the work that you are doing all around this world. Lord, I thank you that you are someone who loves the whole world. Or Lord, even we would not be standing here thousands of miles away from Jerusalem and yet Lord, we are worshiping you. Lord, if we don't have that passion, how many other people would not hear about your name, would not be like we are praising you, experiencing the blessings of your presence? So, Father, give us that passion. Change our hearts. Help us to be a people who praise. And in praying, Lord, changing our world. Make that happen, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.